Playlist with Ben and Fiona. And the Emmy goes to... Hi and welcome to The Playlist, where we talk about movies and TV shows that are worth your time. I'm Ben Nguyen and I'm the channel manager for SBS TV. And this week I'm joined as my co-host by the SBS Viceland channel manager, John Bohm. Hi, John. Hey, Ben. Great to join you over Zoom, as always. Sorry that Fee can't be here, but I'll try to fill in her lovely shoes. Well, I think she's uh, off having holiday hijinks um, for her birthday, so we wish her all the very best. But yes, that has left me with you as as her replacement. Yeah, um, I, I, I am I'm many people's replacements and nobody's first choice. But it is exciting because in what has become a playlist tradition, today we are doing a recap of the 2020 Emmys. Well, hello and welcome to the Pandemies. Um, who won, who didn't, what got us excited. I'm looking forward to this, John. What shows we haven't watched and will now have to watch as a result. <laughs> That's the subtitle of the episode. Yeah. This, this whole Emmys is, is just a year's worth of shows for me to now watch. It's uh, given me plenty of homework. Well, I mean, that's funny you say that because is that not the function of an awards show to, to get the general population excited about TV shows that they probably haven't seen? And that brings me to my first question for you, John. In this day and age, what is the point of an awards show? Why are we talking about the Emmys? Uh, yeah, like, I don't know anymore. I've already seen headlines <laughs> from John Oliver saying, like, why did we do this? Like, you know, he, he won an award, but he's already questioning why it even existed. And I mm-hmm. did just see a variety review of the Emmys, um, and the headline was, Subdued Emmy winners reflect weariness of our times. And I kind of feel like... Oh, good. That sums things up. <laughs> Yes. Uh, well, it was it was a very strange Emmys, and I think the fact that we're speaking to each other remotely via Zoom is very apt given the format of the show, and we will get to that later. But inevitably, I think we'll see the headlines tomorrow that ratings were the lowest they've ever been because for all big awards shows, that seems to be the, the trend now as viewers depart the linear experience. I mean, yeah. Does that not beg the broader question, what point do our jobs still have, John, you and I as linear channel managers? Um, look, let's not think about it too much, Ben. Let's just let's just live <laughs> in the moment. Be happy we still have jobs. Um, and just on the ratings, uh, last year's was the lowest ever with Fleabag's big sweep and inevitably today's will will be the new lowest with uh, Shit's Creek sweep. So another big win for shows not a lot of people watch. John, John, we haven't gotten to the winners. <gasps> okay, yet. sorry, don't, sorry. Spoiler. Don't spoil this yet. <laughs> because I want to ask, before we get on to any winners, I want to ask, uh, did you have any favourites going in? Obviously, the big categories we saw today, because you and I sort of took the time out to watch the ceremony as it went out live, so most outstanding comedy, most outstanding limited series or movie, and most outstanding drama series. These are the big ones that our, uh, you know, Hollywood friends were vying for. You know, what, what were you excited about going in? Um, have to admit, not a lot. Um, I was very excited about Succession, which we will get to. 
um because mm. it is an it's an excellent show and its second season was even better than its first um i was also very briefly um not to spoil things but given that there was a bit of a canadian um wave happening um i was also very briefly excited at the prospect of full frontal with samantha b winning because i feel like that is a underrated show and you know obviously it airs on sbs so that's why we love it so much um mm. and obviously you know john oliver's great but i feel like once once you're up to like six and seven years in a row just like take a step back yeah there should be some automatic disqualification yeah it's like the oprah thing where she stopped putting her name forward for daytime emmys because she didn't need a 50th one <laughs> her mantelpiece despite all the additions she'd made she'd finally yeah. run out of room yeah. Um, but what were you excited about, Ben? Well, I have to say, so looking at the comedy list, you know, I did watch um, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Does Curb Your Enthusiasm get better or worse over seasons? I feel like it really embraces the sameness. Yeah, I'm just surprised it's still on air. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, just as long as Larry David's a grumpy bastard, HBO will keep throwing money at him to film himself being a grumpy bastard. Yeah. And I know, I don't know if it was the, on the podcast or in a real life conversation we had, but I know you were quite the fan of both unbelievable and unorthodox. Is that right? Yes. Well, you're jumping now to best limited series. And uh, to me, this is sort of where the gold is in sort of what is maybe not the most exciting year. I'm just going to sort of throw that out there um, because unbelievable I absolutely adored. This is the series starring Tony Collette about the case of a, a rape and uh, sort of all the criminal investigation that follows. Unorthodox, I think, was a bit uneven, but a very sort of sweet show about a young woman from a strict Jewish community in New York who flees to Germany, seeking her mother as well as a better life. And uh, Mrs. America is completely one of my favourites of the year that played out on FX in the US with Kate Blanchett as uh, Phyllis Schlafly, a firebrand conservative sort of political figure who was campaigning against the Equal Rights Amendment and then the, the sort of feminist activists who all were campaigning against her. And Watchmen, to me, sort of lost its way a little bit, but I, I sort of thought it was doing some interesting things. Little Fires Everywhere, I have to admit, I've only watched the pilot of that, but um, I did just complete the book and quite enjoyed it. So a pretty rich category there. And, you know, there's, I think, a few worthwhile winners. I do think that, you know, given, you know, we're at peak, peak television now, um, I do feel like limited series continues to get more and more interesting because the people who are maybe previously not making television will commit to a limited series. And of course, I, just by the very nature of them being limited series, when you look at drama series and it's what, like six of eight are just, you know, ongoing series that are in fourth and fifth years, it doesn't really make the most exciting category when you're talking about fifth season of one show and fourth season of another show and sixth season of another show. So, yeah, it did seem like a lot of attention was in the limited series category and, you know, probably rightfully so. It's definitely had some of the more interesting programs of the night. I, I do, and I, I know this is sort of has been discussed by, you know, awards pundits before, but um, it can be confusing 
what counts as a limited series versus a drama when you have things like um, like Hollywood on Netflix, for example, which I presume is intended as a returning drama with multiple seasons. Um, what really puts that in the limited category? I don't always understand it. I, I know that there's opportunities for the producers of these shows to submit them in whichever category they choose, which seems a bit dodgy. Well, slash the category they think they have the best chance of winning. That sounds like a decent rationale for it. Yeah. But also, you know, The the Handmaid's Tale was very much meant to be a one-season show and then became too popular to stay a one-season show. Yeah, well, The Handmaid's Tale, it does sit in the best drama category and what separates it from a returnable show like Hollywood, I'm not quite sure. But um, of the best drama nominees, a, a lot of shows that are kind of reaching or sort of their kind of midpoint or end, Better Call Saul, The Crown, Killing Eve, Ozark, Succession you've mentioned, um, The Handmaid's Tale, of course. The Mandalorian is uh, one of the few new shows that got a nomination in Best Drama this year. And even though it didn't get a lot of love in the awards that we just watched, it did seem to pick up a lot of the creative arts Emmys from what I can see. So it certainly got some love from the Academy, but didn't seem to make any noise in tonight's awards, unless I missed something. No, I think there was there was a joke at one point that Jimmy Kimmel made about Zendaya being younger than Baby Yoda, and that was probably the only reference to The Mandalorian pretty much for the night. <laughs> yeah, even though like 100 million more people will have watched The Mandalorian than ever watch Euphoria. <laughs> yes, but uh, at least they know Zendaya's name. So, yeah, that's good. Let's jump now to who's actually winning the damn things. Let's just sort of come out and say this now. It was a big night for Canada. Yeah, it was a huge, huge night for Canada. Obviously, Shits Creek winning the first seven awards, which I believe is some sort of record. What I also found interesting and which I didn't realise until I read about it, the reason that they did all drama at once and then all comedy at once was for completely technical reasons. They didn't want to have to keep trying to cross backwards and forwards between different places. Um, So obviously on a normal night, we wouldn't have seen seven comedy awards in a row handed out, which did make the Schitt's Creek winning almost like embarrassing. Look even bigger. Yeah, look look even bigger, but also like, I think um, Dan Levy at some point said, you know, the internet's about to turn on me. Um, Because obviously (laughs) as soon as anything, as soon as anything gets popular, we have to hate it. But you, you know, besides how excited they obviously were, you could also tell there was like a, a level of embarrassment of how much praise they were getting in the first, you know, tw- 20 minutes of the show, winning seven seven awards. We, we can talk a bit more about the format of the show later, but I quite enjoyed the single-mindedness of, you know, all the comedy categories one in a row. And um, it did feel like the Schitt's Creek cast and crew were taking the piss a little bit because they had obviously hired some marquee. Um, it was almost like a wedding setup with all of them there. And they, at first we saw them all appropriately distanced with masks on, but by the end they were kind of uh, licking their awards and handing them around. And, you know, there was very little concern for hygiene and, and personal safety in that room. Yeah, well, I was I, I was very quick to note on Twitter that the Shits Creek account 
earlier this morning tweeted out to prepare us for what we were about to see, I guess. They tweeted out, Tonight, some Shit's Creek cast and nominated team members have been able to gather for an Emmys event in Toronto, adhering to Ontario's COVID-19 guidelines. All in attendance have been in isolation since returning never negative COVID-19 results. So, you know, they were they were warning us that they were doing all the right things. And, and to, to be fair to them and Canada, they probably didn't even... You know, the masks were probably more for show than anything, given how many, you know. Yeah, that, I think they were taking the piss. Yeah, like the, the I feel like the, the Shit's Creek Emmy party was probably one of the safest places on the planet you could be. As long as they're forced to quarantine in that wedding marquee for the next 14 days, then I'll be happy. And there, there can be some repeat of that whole biosphere fiasco that was made into a documentary <laughs> um, earlier this year. Yeah, yeah. That's my hope. Well, look, they've got their seven Emmys to keep them warm. Um, but I do get the impression that perhaps, uh, I don't know if I'm think, reading too much into it, but I feel like maybe Shit's Creek told the Emmys that, oh, like m- maybe we'll have a party or something. And the Emmys were like, yes, like have, have a party and have cameras. And like, I feel like maybe there was a nod that, you know, they were going to be big winners because they seem to have the most elaborate sort of um, live crosses. The Academy were like uh, uh, said, yes, that's going to save us a lot of gas miles with our sponsored Kia um, delivery yeah. cars. So <laughs> yeah, um, that that helped out. Let's let's break it down a little bit. So we had Catherine O'Hara winning um, Outstanding Lead Actress in a Comedy Series. She uh, said that she'll be forever grateful for the opportunity to play a woman of a certain age, her age. And may you have as much fun holed up in a small room with your family as she had with the Roses, which was sweet. Yeah, Eugene Levy, of course, won for Outstanding Lead Actor. He talked about playing a straight role for pretty much the first time in his career and that he had had so much success he had to seriously question what he'd been doing for the last 40 years and, uh, you know, praised the opportunity to work with his children. Yeah. But only only mild nepotism, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and uh, the the two supporting actor awards, so Dan Levy won, and uh, Annie Murphy also won for Shit's Creek, and outstanding writing, outstanding direction, and of course series. Yeah, clean sweep, clean sweep. Yes, let's go on to limited series, which is where the show took us next. You know, this as I was, I was saying was a a category with um, some great shows in the mix. And the love did get spread out a little bit more here. So of limited series, the non-Watchmen winners, maybe, is the easiest way to look at this, was Mark Ruffalo, for I Know This Much Is True, where he played twins, I believe. Have you seen that one? I I haven't seen it. Um, Okay. But now it's on my watch list. Yeah. He gave a very sort of impassioned political speech sitting on his couch next to his wife. His very excited wife. I think maybe maybe we should hear a bit of that. And so we have a big, important moment ahead of us. Are we going to be a country of division, hatred, and a country only for a certain kind of people? Or are we going to be one of love and strength and fighting for those, all of us, to all of us, 
have the American dream and the pursuit of life and liberty and love and happiness in this great country of ours. That's the, that's what we're facing right now. So get out and vote, make a plan and vote for love and compassion and kindness. I love you all. Thank you so much. And God bless you. I mean, I, I'm, I'm moved just hearing those, those words. I, it was, I think, sort of uh, um, a night for political speeches. Obviously, we're going into an election year. It is an election year. So a lot of passion from some of our winners. Yeah, uh, two of probably, I guess, my favourite acceptance speeches, if that's what we want to call them, um, were in this category. The first one was the Cord Jefferson, who won for writing for Watchmen, a- along with Damon Lindelof. I thought he gave a very good speech, and I liked the fact that he kind of quite sincerely thanked his therapist and told everybody that in the last two years of seeing therapy, it's made a huge difference to his life and that it should be free for everyone. And I don't think I've kind of heard mental health called out in such a sort of frank way in an acceptance speech. Like it almost got a chuckle at the start when he started it, but then people realized um, that he was, you know, very genuinely thanking his therapist for, for what he's done to him. So I kind of thought that was quite nice and sweet and, you know, a change from just thanking your, your agent at WME or, or wherever. <laughs> yeah, we get, we get plenty of acceptance speeches like that. Yeah. Uh, Regina King won Best Actress for Watchmen again. And she did do a call out for people to to vote, have a plan. It's very important yep. to have a plan. Yep. Be a good human, she said. She was also one to give a shout out to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And she had a Breonna Taylor image on her T-shirt, similar to what Uzo Aduba had, uh, who was the winning for Best Supporting Actress, who had a Breonna Taylor T-shirt as well, yes. Yeah. I also I thought her speech was quite sweet with the um, calling out to her mother and then sort of running off screen to obviously go and see her family after her excitement was quite sweet. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed some of the sort of off-camera reactions. That's, um, <laughs> that's something yeah. you don't usually get. That was sweet. No. Or, you know, not to skip ahead, but I think like the phone rang during the Succession Award acceptance. Someone had to go and take Mm. that off the hook, which I thought was funny. I think the thing with acceptance speeches is they can either be incredibly like clinical and prepared and just boring. They can be sort of an emotional mess, which can be nice because, you know, obviously it really means something to that person, especially, you know, with sort of um, emerging artists and um, new performers who genuinely, you know, seem surprised to win it. Um, And I do think that a good mix of the sort of prepared and genuinely surprised was the supporting actor for Watchmen, Yahya Abdul-Mateen II. I thought he gave, he, you know, was genuinely overwhelmed and did spend like a big chunk of time thanking his family and his community and the the black women in his life and, um, you know, was genuinely sort of overcome by winning the award. But then also I thought gave sort of the best description or sort of pitch of what Watchmen was about um, and especially what, what it was about to him. So he was clearly prepared, but then also clearly overwhelmed by the moment. And I thought that was probably one of the the, the nicest sort of moments to see. Yeah. Yeah. I think he really sort of held that moment. It was good. Shall we get on to 
the Governor's Award, basically the Lifetime Achievement Award. Oprah Winfrey uh, introduced this. This um, went out to Tyler Perry. Are, are you a big Tyler Perry fan, John? Um, I have to say I'm not, and it's not a surprise because traditionally we don't see a lot of his stuff in Australia, which I think is is a shame, really. Traditionally, Australian networks and services have, look, I don't know how to say it any other way, are pretty averse to um you know, black-led uh, dramas and comedies. So um, Tyler Perry, who's incredibly pr- prolific, has made more series during lockdown than Australia will probably make out of lockdown next year. And the majority of the content we just don't see here. So it's not an excuse, but I would say that, um, unfortunately, even his most successful things are hardly register here in Australia. Um, and hopefully that's something that will change. Yeah, I mean, I think um, it was great to get a reminder of his story and, of course, the kind of pathos was uh, wrung out through his um, period being homeless, but then he's gone on to build this enormous um, studio complex in Atlanta and narrating this was Oprah Winfrey and Chris Rock and they were sort of both really emphasising how he's worked outside the Hollywood system for his career. And, uh, well, in the US... You know, they they produce much more content than we do here, but there still are only a certain number of gatekeepers, you know, sort of traditionally it has been those big studios that people have gone to to try and get a show made and if the big studio knocks you back, that's the only opportunities you have. And in Australia we have largely the funding agencies and they're the ones that control the purse strings. And so I think whenever anyone is able to not only go it alone outside of that system but make a success of it. I think, you know, that really should be celebrated. And, and you know, he has created so many job opportunities for people of colour in the industry and, and you know, he obviously understands his audience very well. I mean, I remember when he was making those Medea movies and I, I think, you know, he also, as, as well as making them for black audiences, they're quite strongly faith-based as well, which is, you know, not a world that I'm usually that invested in. So, um, yeah, you know, but I think that someone who really understands their audience and is making content for that audience outside of the mainstream system, um, well, unless <laughs> unless they're right-wing nutjobs and then they don't count, but um, otherwise we should yeah. be celebrating them, right? Yeah, and, you know, the fact that he's, you know, he's basically created his own Hollywood in Atlanta. As you said, he's doing it on his own, but he's also... You know, he signs these massive deals with broadcasters to produce hundreds of hours of content a year, which he seemingly also all writes himself without any help, which seems uh, terrifying. But yeah, no, it's it's really impressive. And, you know, it's a model that more people should aim to do because the more control you can have over what you make, the, um, the better stories you can probably tell. So, yeah, I, you know, I think the average television watcher in Australia might know Shonda Rhimes or Ryan Murphy or one of those um, big showrunners. But, you know, I'm struggling to think of a single Tyler Perry show, let alone one that's aired in Australia. So, yeah, maybe we should take a look at that. Yes. (laughs) I did see him playing Colin Powell in Vice the other day. Yes. Which was not a show that he was behind. No. um, Just just to say, you know. (laughs) <laughs> but cl- cl- clearly, a um, you know, a worthy winner for um, such a like a lifetime achievement award for what he's done. For sure, for sure. And this brings us up to the drama category. 
and you've been name dropping it through the podcast constantly. The big winner in this category was Succession. I don't know about you, John, but I feel like we can't speak about Succession without hearing a little bit of that title sequence music. Or just the whole thing beginning to end. I am going to sort of throw to another acceptance speech because Jesse Armstrong, the writer and creator of the show, did do an amusing bit in his acceptance speech um, for the final award of the night where instead of giving out thank yous, he decided to give out unthank yous. Um, Unthank you to the virus uh, for keeping us all apart this year. Unthank you to uh, President Trump for his crummy and uncoordinated response. Uh, Unthank you to um, Boris Johnson and his government for doing the same in my country. Uh, Unthank you to all the nationalist and sort of quasi-nationalist governments in the world who are exactly the opposite of what we need right now. And uh, unthank you to the media moguls who do so much to keep them in power. So uh, unthank you. (laughs) Um, Looking at like the world clock while I was watching that, obviously, you know, for Sarah... Uh, Sarah Snook, yes. who was in, who I assume was in Sydney from what I've seen her in other recent interviews, you know, it was a great, you know, just afternoon watching TV. But by the time uh, Succession won Best Drama, it was 4am in the UK. So they were either having very late nights or very early mornings. But yeah, once again, uh, time zones work out sort of okay for Australia, but not the rest of the world. I, I want to wanted to figure out where um, Rami Yusuf was because, you know, this was held sort of Sunday evening US time and then, you know, we had some uh, Londoners. We sort of had a few Australians, um, Hugh Jackman. Um, I'm not quite sure where his Zoom link was coming from, but um, he was up for an acting award. Um, but Rami Yusuf was sitting there sort of in glowing sunlight, um, which made me think... Uh, like he's certainly US based, but he couldn't have been in the US. Uh, I do think because the show is made for the East Coast, I think it's still like afternoon in LA, isn't it? When it's made, you're ruining the illusion for me, John. Sorry, sorry. Sure, he was you, somewhere. You're very telling exciting. me that the whole time that every time they do these award shows, it's actually glaring sunlight outside. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, just, fine. just like it's here. It was as the we California watch it. sunshine then. It was the yeah. glow of the wildfires. Our thoughts and prayers go out to the those fighting the wildfires. Outside of succession, which won for best writing, best directing, best drama, and it won the best, the lead. best lead actor for Jeremy Strong. And and he was another sort of genuinely uh, surprised winner, I think. He didn't look like he was expecting it. No, and his first nomination and, you know, I'd never heard of him before Succession, so um, he's certainly having a, a very good run. I feel like he thought that um, it, if Brian, if Succession was going to win for acting, it was going to go to Brian Cox. Yeah. I did quite like, um, not to get all sappy, but I did quite like um, he quoted a, a poem or he quoted something basically just saying, you know, he's waited his whole life to find a book that he's going to spend the rest of his life finishing and that he thought succession would be that book. And I kind of thought that was not quite poetic. Mm. It was good. Um, Zendaya, I think uh, she won for outstanding lead actress for euphoria. Um, I think that, you know, 
let's let's forgive her for her youth. I think she did just give one of these um, rattling off her agents and her management. I, I think she even referred to the people around her as her team. Um, yeah. All I'm going to say is, is she not a bit too young just to have no surname? Yeah, I feel like I've known about Zendaya for like ever, but she's 24 and this I don't know what else she's done, but I feel like she's been in the culture forever. But, you know, good on her. Euphoria is a great show. Um, she's clearly incredibly successful. And, yeah, and, you know, it's a historic win in that she's the second black actress to ever win lead actress in a drama series. Yeah, good I to think. see. And um, yeah. she also sort of managed a uh, presenting appearance as well. Before running back to her home. <laughs> I, I feel like there was sort of some green room acceptances going on uh, or sort of at least uh, sort of nominees um, sitting back there amongst the other presenting appearances. But um, we mentioned sort of uh, surprise winner Jeremy Strong. I feel like the supporting actor categories in drama, Billy Crudup for The Morning Show and Julia Garner for Ozark, like those those two just spent the entire of their acceptance being shocked. Yeah. Well, Julia won last year and I think was considered sort of an upset, surprising winner. So I think to then win second year, especially with the calibre of actresses in, in her category, I think she was, you know, doubly shocked to win again. And yeah, I was also pretty surprised to see Billy Crudup win. I quite enjoyed the morning show, but I wouldn't have picked him as being its sort of sole, <laughs> um, its sole award winner for the night. But, you know, good to mix things up. I guess I had my money on Nicholas Braun from Succession because he's just such a awkward character. But yeah, you know, it's good to to not give it to who you think is going to win. I guess. Yeah, that might have been the sole um, Apple Plus Apple TV Plus um, win for the night. Billy Crudup. Uh, I think he does play a very good smarmy TV executive in the morning show or morning wars as it's called in australia and um you know we know a lot about smarmy tv executives don't we john yeah i'm on a zoom call with one right now <laughs> it was uh you know i mean he called me a few times for sort of research purposes i gave him what yeah. i could yeah yeah um so uh i mean those are the awards that we saw tonight uh, there were awards that were given out ahead of this and and there is also a whole extra level of creative arts emmys as well um there's there's also a whole daytime award ceremony too um are there any of the other winners that we haven't touched on um john that you would like to give a shout out to uh i guess purely selfishly um because it does air on sbs viceland um i was it was glad to see the final season of um leah remini's scientology series um, win for best hosted documentary series, I believe was the category. So that was nice. And, you know, my personal favorite Emmy category every year is obviously main title design. Um, so <laughs> it was. <laughs> you, you lost me uh, there. Yeah. Didn't write that blog for a decade for no reason, Ben. Um, <laughs> yeah. Godfather of Harlem picked that up, which, you know, was a, it's, it's a good, it's a good opening. Um, so check that one out. Yes. Well, um, do they even have that category for Australian TV shows, best title design? No. I, I think-, think the answer is no, and I think it shows. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, 
Also, well, the, the other interesting thing about that category is it's dominated by sort of a single Australian man who's won seemingly dozens of them in the last couple of years, um, Patrick Clare. So we do punch above our weight in that very specific category because I guess he couldn't get any work in Australia. So he moved to the US and started making great title design over there. Well, as I understand it, he did do some motion graphics work for the feed ahead of heading over to the States. Yes, uh, he, he got his start at Hungry Beast and then like everyone at Hungry Beast, they went and worked at the feed. So, you know, we, we sort of claim him as our own, really. Yeah, SBS is own. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Another category that we don't need to delve into in detail, but there are a sort of variety show categories, most outstanding, that these award shows themselves can be nominated for. So you can have... Um, an Emmy Award going to the Emmy Awards, of all things. Yes. Would tonight's show have won any awards in your eyes? Let's let's finish up by taking a look at what 2020 has brought. Um, yeah, no, I don't think this will win an Emmy Award for Best Variety. It might, it might win some sort of technical award for most, most Zooms or something because um, <laughs> it does seem like it was genuinely quite a big technical undertaking right down to like the silly boxes that opened up with awards for people and stuff. But otherwise, you know, I think the TV industry, you know, and rightfully so they've only, we've been all dealing with this for only a few months. Everyone's figuring out what like these big events look like when you can't have an audience and you can't get a thousand people in an auditorium and you can't have people hugging and shaking hands. And I do think creatively, there are some upsides to this, like, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, the, the US debates, the presidential debates that are going to come up, you know, they're not going to have audiences, which they should have never had. Like, there's, there's things that you just know you don't need an audience for. So, uh, you know, I think, yeah, yeah. Um, so there's things like that, that I think will actually see sort of creative improvements. I thought like the fake laughter at the start was not great. Like I, I think a lot of people have sort of done that gag where they've inserted, you know, footage of audiences from past events. I, I have to admit it fooled, fooled me. So Jimmy Kimmel was uh, the host tonight and um, and he sort of came out onto the stage for his opening monologue and, uh, you know, did some bits about, you know, television being the thing that's going to get us through when the world sucks. Uh, yeah. And... Uh, the crowd were just lapping it up of all the celebs and the the kind of rug pull where uh, suddenly he's, he reveals that he's just delivering it to an empty theatre. Uh, I was kind of like, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. It took me a while. I, I might just be slow. I just feel like they could have done that in like with two minutes of that joke, not like eight minutes or whatever it was. Because the reveal of the empty <laughs> audience was actually sort of a nice moment. But yeah, I feel like the jokes like universally fell flat. Like I don't remember a specifically funny thing in the whole night. It made it made me realize, you know, it's it's sort of usually not canned laughter. It's it's usually just sort of the captive audience of the celebrities, sort of mostly probably laughing out of politeness. But um, but that does usually add something, you know, when they just kind of have these late show style kind of throwaway gags and it gets delivered to crickets or even less than crickets because they're mm -hmm. just in an empty studio. 
I sort of did miss at least the warmth of just a sort of polite guffawing. Yeah, I mean, I think sort of Jimmy Kimmel did fine. I think sort of oddly um, he pretty much shared hosting duties with D-Nice, the DJ, who um, seemed to be doing most of the outros and intros. It almost had like equal or more time on screen than Jimmy Kimmel. Then I feel like what really felt fell flat were the um, sort of little guest appearances, starting with Jennifer Aniston, of uh, of different actors coming in and and doing bits with with Jimmy in the studio in that odd hallway of TVs as well. Yeah, like you needed something to keep it together, but I don't know. I did I did like the fact that there genuinely seemed to be a fire that they did not expect to keep burning as long as it did. So that was a nice like <laughs> moment of tension very early on when I, I think someone yelled out, like, put out the fire. Um, <laughs> but I don't know what you thought about this, but I quite liked the um, Essential Workers um, presenting awards. I thought it was nice to yeah. just have like, reg- like regular people out in the... And the other thing that, um, you know, when you can't have a studio full of people, I think it's really nice to just go out into the real world so I, I, I thought it was really nice to not only highlight those people and what they're doing and to let them hand out these massive awards, but it was also nice just to, you know, be out in the sunshine in the real world and um, connect with people who are doing much more important things than um, most of the people who were winning awards that night. And for, you know, for every political speech that someone gives on one of these awards shows where they, you know, talk about using their platform or whatever, which is fine um, and important, um, like actually what they should be doing is like just handing over a slither of the time to the people that they're talking about. So I thought it was much more powerful to see a doctor or a truck driver or a postman talk about their life experience for 30 seconds than to hear a, um, an actor telling you to go vote, um, which is also important. Please go and vote. Yeah, no, I thought that worked really well. And there could have been a much more ham-fisted way to do a tribute to the essential workers and the frontline workers. But I, I felt like this sort of validated these people um, and, you know, they actually got to present significant awards. Um, I mean, it was a, a fairly technical feat. I think there was something like uh, something like 144 little remote cameras that they sent out that people could set up in their own homes. Some people um, were just linked in directly via Zoom with the telltale little kind of name in the corner um, that yeah. you and I are so familiar with from our daily meetings. Um, I mean, one advantage, of course, of of using this remote award ceremony is that you save all that time with people sort of having to kind of find their way up to the stage. So in a way, like the the award ceremony was just a bit over three hours, so still long, but they managed to kind of push through a lot more than they would have otherwise. Yeah, and besides the what I'm sure were commercial obligations to have skits about Kias and stuff like it did give them that what felt like more time to have those moments with like Issa Rae and America Ferreira where they were sort of telling their own you know how they got into the industry stories um which quite nice bumpers in and out which when you would previously be wasting time with applause and getting to the stage and stuff you may they don't they're probably the kind of things that would get cut so yeah I, I thought for its many faults um there were some nice improvements and hopefully you know in a year where things are relatively back to normal maybe they won't forget all of those things because i still think it would be nice to give some time over to some people that weren't celebrities to hand out awards um and to highlight their lives given that 
that's what they claim some of these awards are meant to be about. And yeah, if we could just generally get rid of audiences and clapping, I'd, I'd also be pretty happy. So that's the takeaway lesson is uh, awards shows just need fewer audiences. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's another big year of the Emmys. Exciting to watch along with you, John, remotely and chat about it. Thanks very much for coming on to the show. Yeah, it was great to um, sort of be with you again. Yeah, just, just like us and all of the world of Hollywood. Live into my childhood bedroom. Just coming to you from our living rooms <laughs> or, or your bedroom, yeah. your parents' bedroom even. Yeah. Um, so that's it for the show. And make sure you subscribe to SBS The Playlist wherever you get your podcasts and give us a lot of stars and leave us a nice review because it helps people to find the show. And you can let us know what you thought of the movies and TV shows we discussed on Facebook or Twitter at SBS Movies. And I'm on Twitter at Ben Nguyen TV. Where, where can we find you on Twitter, John? Uh, I'm on Twitter at iDance. And you can even dig up your old blog if you're keen to discover the thoughts on title sequences yeah from the mid 2000s (laughs) (laughs) and the playlist is produced by jeremy wilmot until next time see you john see you ben